moments in time where we seem to say, okay, I believe God's leading me this way, but, but most of the time I think it's just a day by day. It's just, uh, okay, Lord, I'm yours. I, I don't really understand all the things that are going on here, but uh, just help, help me to be what you want me to be. Use me. Um, I think in the end of it all, uh, haven't been to that side yet, but uh, looking forward to it in lots of ways. In the end of it all, we'll see, see it all how it was. You know, we'll see clearly that which we don't see now. So our responsibility now is not to figure it all out, <laughs> uh, because that's, uh, that's kind of a place of more frustration and uh, maybe uh, even keeping us from moving. Oh, I have to have this all figured out before I really walk in faith. Well, no, no, we walk by faith, not by sight. But in the midst of walking, in the midst of moving and trusting God, the Lord wants to change us, but also work in us that our relationships are deeply changed. And that's what we've been talking about in these weeks. So today is kind of a summary sermon, uh, pulling all the pieces together, and we're calling it uh, Developing a Rule of Life. Um, a rule of life, okay, basically... What you believe you want your life to be, particularly what God wants your life to be, okay, and you, you committing yourself to that, and then having a plan. You know, it's interesting how we can believe a lot of things, but if we don't really have a plan, if we're not really committed to what we believe and have that affecting our decisions and how we plan life and what we do in life, it's like, well, our belief and our they don't fit together. That, that, that's not good. That's not what we want. That's not what God desires. Um, in my uh, premarital counseling, um, we talk about spiritual life. That's a big piece, of course, as far as a couple coming together. They have common, common faith. And um, one of the questions that uh, we talk about is, um, what is the meaning of life? And every time I come to that, I think, well, that's really good question. <laughs> it's a tough one. Uh, what do you say? I mean, what is the meaning of life? Um, I mean, I've heard all kinds of things said in, the, uh, in my office. Um, more recently, I've just heard somebody say, uh, well, I believe it's uh, the pursuit of happiness. Sounds very American. Yeah. Sounds very human. <laughs> uh, somebody else said, well, I think it's just kind of to... Uh, to enjoy all of the things around us um, and they said animals and creation and kind of a naturalist type of approach okay huh what do you say <laughs> what would you say to people to say that you know well I say well yeah I've thought a lot about this my whole life and I think it's something we need to think about but I've come down to the fact that I really believe the meaning of life is certainly found in the creator of life. <laughs> and I can't really resolve my personal perspective on the meaning of life as finding foundation and being settled <laughs> unless I find out the creator's purpose for me and for you, right? So the meaning of life for me is, okay, I need to know the creator and allow him to guide me so that I can be all that he wants me to be. 
And I usually say, you expect the pastor to say that, right? (laughs) But I say, you know, I don't say that as a pastor. I say that as a fellow human being. Because I know that I am a pastor because I believe that's the message that everybody needs to get to. And by the way, you don't have to be a pastor to believe that, right? That we are followers of the true God. (laughs) We are followers of the one, and we're going to celebrate his redeeming us through this communion service. And, And so... Those who are following my notes back at the, uh, the picture, they're wondering where in the world I am because I'm way off of my notes right now, okay? All right. But, <laughs> but this is so important to us, you know, because what we're talking about each week and what we talk about even is this whole idea of, of discipleship is this idea of certainly moving along with what God has for us, right? It's not some kind of a plan that, that we put together as you know, okay, I, I developed this book, and you follow this book. No, 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 no. Certainly, we can use the Scriptures and guide folks, but it's God's plan for you and how He wants to use you. He's a personal God. The way to, the way to, the way to Him is the same for everybody, and that's through, that's through submission to Jesus Christ. I mean, there's no way to know the Father without coming through the Son. Jesus made that very clear. But it's continuing in that, too. Why, why do we have, I'm kind of getting ahead here, but why do we have communion? Why do we remember because we forget? Why do we have to come back to the main point? All, because we need to. That we, we're prone to wander, like the hymn says, right? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. <laughs> yeah, Lord, take us. Seal that which really matters. So today, as we talk about developing a rule of life, our focus is not on the idea of a rule, like, you know, usually we think of rules as something that uh, we have to do because somebody made the rule. (laughs) It's not necessarily that we buy into it, okay? I I like to go faster than the speed limit. It really bugs me when somebody is going under the speed limit. Oh, yesterday I was on my motorcycle on Trindle, 45 mile an hour. The car in front of me is going 40. I can't even get out of third gear. Bad. Lord help me have a good attitude. Okay. Right. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? Yeah. But you know, rules are that kind of that way. But we're not talking about that kind of rule today. Matter of fact, we're talking about the idea of something that helps us, not as untasteful. Something that we want in our lives because it leads us to that which is full. Actually, the word rule comes from the Greek word for trellis. And a trellis is a tool that enables a grapevine or flowers to get off the ground, grow upward, and become more fruitful and productive. Some of you have trellises around your house. So a rule of life is a trellis that helps us abide in Christ and become more fruitful spiritually. Pete and Jerry Scazzaro write in their book on emotionally healthy spirituality, a rule of life is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. It provides guidelines to help us continually remember God as the source of our lives. It includes our unique combination of spiritual practices, life structure, disciplines, and the like for us to intentionally pay attention and remember God in everything we do. The starting point and foundation of any rule is a desire 
to be with God and to love Him, the meaning of life. Basically, we're talking here about a personal plan for your spiritual growth and well-being. If you go to a physical trainer, anybody go to their own personal physical trainer? I've never been wealthy enough to do that. I usually just go and hang out at the Planet Fitness, you know. It's great to be older, too, because you don't have to pay to go to the Planet Fitness. We have what they call silver sneakers. Okay. I don't know what that means. But, but if you go to a physical trainer, they will develop a plan just for you. This plan will take into consideration your current condition, the level you hope to achieve, and maintain for your future. You will have your own personal desires that will guide and develop your plan, but you will also incorporate many things that the trainer brings to you. So in our rule of life plan, there's a similarity. We will bring our desires to walk with the Lord in all of life We come in our current condition with some thoughts of where we wish to go, but in reality, we are trusting that coming closer to God will bring us to other levels that we haven't been at before, and so we need outside assistance in developing our plan. And this comes from the Word of God. You know, what is God saying to you as you read His Word? What are the areas He wants to work on? Prayer, as you bring yourself to Him and you communicate with Him, and it's not just one way, and He communicates with you. The ministry of His Spirit in our lives ties into the Word of God and prayer as He speaks to our hearts and guides us through circumstances. And then the input from the body of Christ as God has gifted people within the body to guide others in the way that He wants them to go. But since it's a plan, it should include definite, practical routines, things that you do, not just things that you think about. We have routines in other areas of life to keep us going in the right direction. Sometimes we don't have them written down, but we just do them. I mean, every morning you probably have a routine, right? I hope so. I mean, I hope you brush your teeth. You know, it's good, yeah. Wash your face, you know, whatever you're doing, okay? Take a shower, okay? Make your breakfast, make your lunch, take to work if you need to do that, right? Or, uh, you know, let the dog out, feed the dog, you know, take care of the cats, uh, whatever you have going on, you know? We get ourselves ready in our routine for what's to come. And so that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. We're, we're doing things in a plan that gets us ready for what's to come. In our spiritual lives... We often don't have a plan. We find ourselves overwhelmed with life and all its busyness, and and we use what little time we have left after everything else takes over. And as a result, we often can grow spiritually weak and feel far from God. And that's to be expected because we are in a spiritual battle. The Bible says we're against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The big three that's intent on bringing us down and discouraging us from being all that God intends us to be. But even in the midst of those big three, God is greater than those things, right? And He is with us to use even the things of this world that are against Him in the believers so that we grow in Him. God will take difficulties. He will take struggles. He will take all things and work them together for good 
to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Don't forget the last part of that verse, right? We often quote the first part. Oh, God will bring all things together for good. Yeah, I believe he will. But personally, you're not going to know that unless you are living in a way where you are loving God, you're called according to his purposes, and that's where we see that happen. Yeah. Now, we also wrestle, according to what Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.12, and it relates to the world, the flesh, and the devil, with principalities and powers in high places. I don't understand all those principalities and powers in high places. might look like if we're in Christ because he has already defeated them but we still have to wrestle with them against them and so we trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross and in doing so we can wrestle with them we can find our way through what seems to be overwhelming matter of fact the Bible goes on to say in 2nd Peter 1 to 3 1 3 through 11 that we have all that we need to be victorious I'm going to read these verses to you. You'll see them on the screen. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. (laughs) Let's stop there a minute. We don't have any excuse, do we? (laughs) Oh, I can't make it. I'm going to give up. Woo! Wrong. (laughs) Okay. God has given us everything we need. Everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this. By coming to know Him, the one who called us to Himself, by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. The Word of God, right? Dig into those promises, because that's where we find hope, encouragement. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Oh, we wrestle with those, don't we? We wrestle, we wrestle, but we don't have to lose. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. It all goes to the relational piece. You notice that? As we grow, as we apply these things that God has given to us, what's the ultimate result? Well, the ultimate result is that there is patient endurance, self-control, godliness, and then brotherly affection, (laughs) right? And love for everyone. If it doesn't show up in our relationships, there's a good question for us to take a look at ourselves and say, are we really, are we really letting God do what he wants? You know, if our relationships with others are not going in a way that lead to more growth and love and unity, hmm, that's not of God. That's of something, but it's not of God. Yeah. And it goes on to say, doesn't it? So, The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that verse because, you see, it's not just 
fire insurance. It's not, I believe in Jesus, so I'm going to go to heaven. No, God's got a plan for you, right? And it's to live here and to live out your life in Christ. You're going to be productive and you're going to be useful, not just in knowledge as an academic pursuit, but in life change because of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. And we kind of then, it kind of alludes to the thought that we find in other parts of Scripture that people return to more of a works mentality and not really a trusting living by faith mentality. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. But the works come back in in that we are saved and we're living that out. Not to be saved, but to honor God. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wow. God has given us the power and all that we need. We're called to remember his promises, to work hard to obey. And he promises that we will not fall away as we do. We need to use what we've been given. You got it in your bank account. You got it there. Use it. And so developing a rule of life or a plan will be in line with these things, will help us to see this happen. Jesus says to us as his disciples, though, that a part of planning for the future is counting the cost. We must love him and serve him first and be committed to that no matter what. And we must understand what this entails and commit to follow him. Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 25, Jesus uh, is in the midst of ministry here. Uh, crowds are following. As a matter of fact, we're told here in verse 25, a large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and said to them, now think about it, all these people are following him. He's very popular at this point, okay? He's healed people. His love is drawing people to him, right? There's just something special. Big crowd. And so what does Jesus say? <laughs> if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet even, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. <laughs> Jesus says we're to hate others close to us in comparison to our love for Christ. We are to take up the cross of suffering and death. We're to count the cost. In the area where I lived when I was growing up in southern New Jersey, People would build a basement and live in it with the plan to build the rest later. Found this uh, picture on Zillow of a house for sale. You could have this for 120000 So appealing, isn't it? 
I, I mean, I saw this. I mean, when I was growing up, we would drive by places that looked like this. And we, my dad would always say, yep, yep, they, they built the basement. They were going to just live in it for a little while and then build the rest. But look, they're still living in the basement. I'll never forget him saying that. It was like, yeah, that's really foolish. That's embarrassing. I'm glad I don't live there. <laughs> yeah, if it's the story that Jesus was saying, right? You know, he, he tells him, he says, you know, you don't do that. You, you got to count the cross. You got to make sure you got enough. Now, we all just read the passage that says we have what we need, right? We have enough. But sometimes we're still living in the basement. You know, we, we kind of got in on the first floor, <laughs> you know, but, but we kind of stayed there. Uh, that's embarrassing to us, to God, to the church. People that look, they drive by your life. <laughs> what do you want them to see? Still in the basement? No, we got to keep moving forward. So we need to take a look at ourselves. Are we growing in Christ? Or are we still in the same place we started? And, and I really believe there's this whole idea of a plan to move up and out is a key factor. So what, what are included in a personal rule of life? Well, it certainly has to be guided by the Word of God and the Spirit of God and needs to be encouraged and affirmed by the body of Christ. Now, during this series, we, uh, we considered skills that helped us or to help us move up on our relationship with God and others. So I'm going to review those briefly here. You'll see this uh, little picture in front of you there. The center, of course, is the love of God to receive it and to give it. And everything is to feed in and from that. You notice those arrows go back and forth on the side pieces, okay? So it's a matter of us finding the love of God through Him, but then that love of God coming back to us and that being the power for our life. First of all, and we're kind of going to go around the circle, um, using your God-given voice was the first thing we talked about, and that is to understand your amazing standing with God and to acknowledge to yourself that you are a precious child of God, living out of that truth and allowing that truth to guide how you speak. <laughs> Not putting yourself down in some humiliating way, certainly recognizing that you're nothing without the Lord, but that you are a chosen child of the King. <laughs> you're not who you are because you chose it, but because your Heavenly Father did. And that is such an amazing truth, we never can fully get to the depth of it. But we need to live in it. Because that frees us, how we talk with others. We're, we're not trying to prove ourselves, right? Isn't there a big difference when there's freedom? You know, if I'm, I'm in my relationship, I'm constantly concerned about, i, I got to prove myself to you. Ah, that gets kind of old. Because it's all about me. <laughs> I already am me. God has redeemed me. And you has the same relationship. And so we can just be us. Not with the idea of, well, it's just the way I am. You've got to accept me. No, we're, God's changing me. I'm working, he's working on me. <laughs> but I'm free. I'm free to love you. I'm free to show you his love. So we speak out of that God-given voice as a believer, as a redeemed child. The second one is to stop mind reading. Remember we talked about that, that many times we, uh, we assume things about people. We judge because we think we know, and it's so easy to fall into that. And rather than being there, we 
treat others as Jesus treats us, and that is that he loves us. I think often about uh, the woman caught in adultery, you know, and how there was all that accusation. And these religious leaders were there and pointing, and, <laughs> and we don't know what Jesus wrote in that sand. <laughs> There's been a lot of speculation, but whatever it was, uh, it certainly continued the conviction that was going on in that crowd, and they all left. And Jesus says, where are those who condemned you? Well, they're gone, she said. And the next phrase is so good. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The one who had every right to condemn her did not. And see, that's where we need to live when it comes to dealing with others. Not condemnation. Not, oh, well, I, yeah, I'm sure I know what's really going on. with it. We don't know everybody's situation. God does, and he loves them. <laughs> Stop mind reading. And then third went together with that, and that was clarify expectations. And that's to recognize whether certain expectations are valid or not, and then to clarify them with others. You know, and again, that really fits because our <laughs> assumptions, our, our judgment, our mind reading is also often related to what we expect. Fourth, I'm going to do this uh, workshop in a little while here on Genogram Your Family, and that is kind of tying in the fact that, that who we are is certainly related to where we've come from, and certainly we've been set free from the past in Christ, but knowing the past and allowing God to show us some things that we can learn from that helps us to grow in who we are now. It's not a blaming thing. Matter of fact, that's the wrong place to go. But it's uh, realizing that there might be some patterns in our life that are unhealthy that we need to let the Lord break from generations before. And then fifth is becoming self-aware. Um, taking note of our emotions, not in the sense that uh, we're allowing them to rule us, but knowing that God has given given us emotions that that are signals that something's going on you know you become angry you become anxious you become you know whatever your emotion might be well okay why <laughs> what's going on god what do you want to say to me in the midst of this what do i learn how do i process this instead of just kind of saying well that's just the way it is or we ignore it or whatever and then listen listen excuse me number six listen incarnationally and uh, that's such a big deal when we have personal relationships, to really be able to listen at a heart level with empathy, being attuned to words and nonverbal cues of another person. And then we talked about climbing the ladder of integrity to clarify your values by processing your thoughts and feelings, and if appropriate, asserting yourself respectively, respectfully. In other words, okay, this is all relational again. Okay, If there's stuff where there's a need for us to be honest and deal with them, we find God's way to do it, not on our own because that's dangerous, we mess things up, but allowing Him by His Spirit to lead us into speaking the truth with love. And then finally, we talked last week about fighting cleanly, and we'll do a workshop on that as well, but to resolve a conflict maturely by eliminating dirty fighting tactics and taking responsibility for difficult issues. 
So here's my question today. I mean, you can say, wow, that's, uh, that's eight different things. That's a lot. And certainly that'd be great to have all those in our plan at some point. But you know, um, we don't suddenly change everything at once. And God graciously doesn't do that. I've often thought about that. You know, if he shook me up to the level I need to be shaken up, I would really be in a bad way. But God is gentle, isn't he? And he's good. And as you look back over your life, don't you realize that he has, even though maybe you've been through some difficult times that have brought you to where you are, you realize that even in that difficulty, there was a gentleness of God. That it wasn't, it wasn't destroying you, right? It certainly was changing you. And you maybe thought it was destroying you at the time. But as you look back, you realize that he didn't destroy you. He just kind of used the pressure to refine you. He is gentle and good and caring. And so we're not expecting, I'm not suggesting that you just jump into all eight of those, although, hey, we can learn from all of them, and I hope you do. But I'd encourage you today, as we think about a rule of life, what one area there really strikes you as something that you believe God is calling you to work on? And then develop your plan around that thing. And the plan can be really simple. I mean, if it's about, uh, you know, to stop mind reading, <laughs> it's to pray that way every day. <laughs> Lord, help me not to live in that kind of a mentality. And then as you live through the day, look for God helping you to do that. And that's what we've been talking about in this whole thing, that this is a process, and we're looking for God's presence and guidance in every situation. And that's going to fit all of those things. So I'd encourage you to pick one. And uh, as you do... Choose one, or you could choose two. I mean, you might, be, uh, you might be an overachiever. Don't do three. Okay, all right. That's over, overachiever, okay? All right, but choose one or two, and make a rule of life in that area. And, and th ask yourself these questions. First of all, what do I know now that I didn't know three months ago? In other words, what, God, what has God taught me? What, what, what seems to be progressing in my life? And get on board with how God has been working, okay? That's a good, good principle. Um, something flashed through my mind. If I can remember it, I'll tell you. Um, there was a book came out several years ago, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, but uh, Experiencing God. Remember that? Okay, it was kind of a focus on that. Uh, Henry Blackaby wrote it. Um, it's coming back. Thank you. You must be praying for my memory. That's really, <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. But, you know, in that book, he talks about the fact that many times we look at our spiritual life as, um, you know, trying to, well, do, do what we think our calling is. His point is, let's look for what God is doing and then get on board with him. It's kind of a different perspective. And, and that's what we're suggesting here that, okay, what, what, what have you seen change in your life over the last three months? See what God is doing and, and get on board with that as it fits in with these territories here. And uh, let God change us. That's, that's really the key here. I mean, if we're going to perform and we're going to act out what his plan is, it has to begin with transformation of us. And as we let God change us again and again, We'll see his working to develop us into deeper discipleship that changes relationships. I love C.S. Lewis. Uh, I've been through the C.S. Lewis uh, discipleship program. I have the certificate. Big deal, but okay. It's life-changing still, okay? That's what it's about. It's not about a piece of paper. 
But uh, if you've read some of his uh, Chronicles of Narnia, there's some great stories in there. Uh, one of them is about Eustace, uh, a young boy who becomes a big, ugly dragon as a consequence of being selfish, stubborn, and unbelieving. If you've seen it, okay, The Dawnbreaker, I think this is in, um, it's about, uh, you know, he's just got a bad attitude. <laughs> and the other kids, it drives him nuts. He turns into this dragon. And um, after indulging his dragon self to the full, he's hurting and he wants nothing more than to going back to being a young boy again. But he can't get out of this dragon thing. Can't do it himself. Eventually, the great lion Aslan, representing Jesus, appears to him and leads him to a beautiful well to bathe. But since he is a dragon, he can't enter the well. So Aslan tells him to undress. And Eustace peels off a layer of dragon skin by himself, dropping it to the ground. He feels better, but as he moves toward the pool, he realizes there is yet another hard, rough, scaly layer still on him. And frustrated in pain and longing to step into that beautiful bath, he asks himself, how many skins do I have to take off? After three layers, Eustace despairs and gives up. But Aslan says to him, you will have to let me undress you. Here's how Eustace later describes to his companions what happened next. I was afraid of his claws, and I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back, and I let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I'd ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me, and he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me in new clothes. I love analogy. It kind of takes us into some deeper places. God's given us imagination for that. C.S. Lewis is very gifted in helping us experience that. You see, for us to really be changed, it, it isn't just having a plan, although that's a good thing. And we're encouraging it. But I never want to get away from the fact that real change only comes from God. We can't get rid of the ugly skin ourselves. <laughs> and when we try and just do it on our own, there might be a few changes that take place, but we're still the dragon. We must let him undress us.
we must, we must be desperate. And when we are, it might look like those claws are going to just tear us apart. But he's gentle. And he peels off all the stuff we couldn't get rid of and puts on new clothes. That's not just about your initial conversion, friends. That's about our life in Christ. Because we need to be converted again and again and again. You might say, Pastor, are you teaching us that once we're saved, we're not fully saved? No, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm talking about coming to a certain understanding of Jesus, putting your faith in Him. But if it's real, you'll realize that you need more and more and more. Someday, we'll be with Him. But you're not there yet. You're still breathing. You're still here. And so this process continues. Let's let him do what only he can do. Let's make a plan so that we're studying his word and praying and listening to his spirit that we set up those things that we believe God's doing in our lives and continue to let him work. I'm not going to tell you what your plan needs to be if you're waiting for that. But I do believe that there is another factor in all of this that I think in our culture really keeps us from moving into deeper relationship with the Lord, and that is the issue of busyness in our life. There's an importance of stillness and solitude in finding emotionally healthy spiritual life, which leads to more deeply loving God and others. Have you found that life is busy? Does it get less busy? Hey, retired folks, is your life less busy than it was before you were retired? Most retired people tell me, I don't know how I had time to go to work. But it's just not retired folks, is it? I mean, you got kids at home? Are, are they busy? Are you busy because they're busy? Are you running them here and there? <laughs> is there all kind of stuff going on? Teenagers, is your life busy? Do you kind of sit around saying, what am I going to do next? No. I mean, we have, <laughs> I'm in Rotary, okay, so we have students of the month come, okay, and, and they come and they, they tell us all the things that they're doing. And we go, when do you sleep? Busy. That's what we are. That's who we are. <laughs> Busy. The problem is that we need to stop once in a while in order to really be all that God wants us to be. And busy keeps us away from that voice. Remember Elijah? He was running from the prophets of Baal and Jezebel. and Well, basically Jezebel. He hadn't seen them killed. But, and he was listening. He was discouraged. He was depressed. And, and it was a storm that went by. God's voice wasn't there. And then the wind and all that. And God's voice was finally there where? in a still, small voice. If he wasn't in a place where he was quiet, he wouldn't hear it, right? 
Sometimes God makes us get into quiet places. We're running from other things in life, and we have to hear. But I think it's good if we intentionally follow the plan of God, which is Sabbath rest. Do you know that God intentionally created the world in six days and rested on the seventh for you and me? A gift. It's a gift that we find some time to be quiet. If you go on seven days, 24-7, without any quiet time, without any solitude, you know what happens? Your violin string gets so tight that it goes boing! We have emotional struggles. We have mental health issues. We have physical struggles. Guilty. I'm preaching to you. And why am I talking loud? Because I wrestle with it too, okay? Yeah. Unless I make a plan for solitude and silence, it doesn't happen. I was convicted that I was writing this sermon. Um to do more of that. I hope you are too. And sometimes it can be in a very significant way. I've taken times where I've actually gone, now don't, don't think wrong of me, but I've actually gone to a monastery. Woo! You know why? Because nobody talks to each other. I went there the first time and I went to the dinner and I started talking and everybody went, I thought, what did I do? Nobody talks. That was good for me, because I can't keep my mouth shut. I needed to get quiet. And most of what I did sometimes was just to sleep, catch up, get away. But it might, I mean, you might say, well, I can't do that. I got other stuff. Well, yeah, I understand that. But you still probably could get away. Maybe you could take some time and go to the park near your home with nobody else and just sit. Certainly, I encourage you to meditate on Scripture and think of the Spirit's guidance, but, you know, doesn't it say, matter of fact, I'm going to look where it does say it. You probably already know, but Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Isn't that an interesting verse? How do I know that you're God? Be still. Isn't it scary to be still? Even that second that I stopped, you thought, Pastor, won't you say something more, please? It's just so difficult to sit where it's quiet. But we need that. God's made us for that. Because that's how he speaks to us many times. Yeah. So I encourage you. Solitude's worth repeating. Just because you did it once don't mean you need to do it again. So I read that and I thought, that's what I need. It may be taking time at home in a room by yourself. You know, John Wesley's mother had 19 children. You know what she did? She would take her apron and put it over her head to have quiet time, and the kids knew not to bother mom when she did that. Now, you might not wear an apron, but, you know, put something over your head. I don't know. Find a way! Okay. And as we do, we can discover more of what God desires to change in us and to work on in our rule of life. We're changed, we're refreshed, we're loved, we're able to refresh and love others. So think about it. What is the one or two things that you're going to make a plan about. If you forget about them, go back on our website. All the sermons are there, but not only that, each week I put together a list of questions for our small groups, and that's on the website. And on some of those question sheets, there are some things to cause you to think about what we've talked about and how to make a plan. So if you're really serious, it's there, okay? Go in and find it on the website. If you can't find it on the website, give me a call or let our office know, we'll help you. But 
It's there. That's all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are not done with us and that you have a plan. Help us to be in line with your plan. Help us to work on a rule of life, a plan daily where we're really working toward the meaning of life as you have stated. It is to know and love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our spirit, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, may our life plan be your plan. But Lord, help us to be serious about it and to work on the parts that you're working on to get in line with you and your spirit. To be like Eustace and lay down and let you take all that dragon stuff off of us. And to get in that refreshing well. To be a boy again. <laughs> to be a child. Your child, Lord. Oh, we've gotten so complicated. We, we know so much. Boy, we have more information than we ever did. But we're changed so little. Thank you that you haven't given up. That you're still here working right now. Right now in this moment, you are here. And you love us. And you want us to know you more. And you want us to show you more. And you're at work. Help us, Lord, to lay down. And participate with you in changing us. In Jesus' name, amen.